Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Val Cisco, dropping some knowledge about Anchor. Guys, have you ever wanted to record your own podcast? Don't you want millions and millions of people to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about Zeus, whether it's about sports, whether it's about everything that's going on in the world of quarantine? Guys, what are you waiting for? Download Anchor. Anchor basically is a one-stop shop for all your podcast needs. It has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Number two, it's free. Guys, it's free. There's not a lot of freebies out there, so grab this. And of course, Anchor will distribute your podcast so you can be heard from different places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and many, many, many more. You can make money off your podcast too with minimum listenership. So right there, guys, like, listen, this is a no-brainer. Download Anchor. It's pretty fantastic. I love it. Hell, thank you, Anchor, for giving me the platform to speak about all the random things that I do. Uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So please, once again, download Anchor. You can download it off the Apple Play Store, the, the Google Store. I don't know if you guys have Blackberries out there still. Uh whatever is out there download it it's freaking phenomenal you guys won't regret it take care ciao hi heroes this is stanley coming at you want you to know marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. Welcome, true believers, to a very spectacular episode of Pop 5, always brought to you by Sideshow Conversations. It's me, the taskmaster himself, Val Cisco, and today I'm not alone. I have a very special guest, the guru of nerdism, Big Shug. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing, man? You like that little introduction right there? That was, that was great. That was great. We have a very spectacular episode, as I was saying, maybe even a fantastic episode, because we're going to be talking a little bit about comics, in particular, the greatest Stan Lee creation in comic books. How do you feel about that? I feel pretty good. Um, I've been uh, definitely wanting to talk uh, some stuff about Stan Lee. I mean, he's, he's definitely a great guy, and I think it's, it'd be, it'd be, it's a great time to talk about some of his, uh, his greatest work. I totally agree. You know, I wanted to kind of put this off for, I want to say, a week or so because of his late passing on November 12th. And I felt that everybody was not necessarily taking advantage, but using it as newsworthy, uh, I guess, uh, points in their life to plug this and plug that. And I just felt like that was maybe a little disrespectful for the family and fans out there. So I figured let the dust settle in a tad bit and maybe we could just talk about his work and his life just a tad bit. Of course, of course. 
Um, before we even get started with the Pop 5 countdown, kind of wanted to talk about Stan Lee and your thoughts about him in general. So, with Stan Lee, um, I think one of the most important things that we all think about is just how much of an impact he's made on not only the world, not just people basis to basis, but just, I mean, he's he's changed history in general. I mean, he... He and Kirby and everyone else, they, they, they created these, these stories. On, on, you know, they, they colored these characters and, they, and they, they created entire universes, multiverses, you know, and it, it defined a lot of people's best moments in their life when they could sit down and read a comic and enjoy things, or even nowadays with the MCU. I mean, I mean it, 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 it really gives something... It gives families and just individual people a an experience that otherwise they just wouldn't be able to have. I I totally understand that. I I couldn't um, put that into better words myself right there. Me, myself, um, someone who respects his work, not only um, within the comic book world, but in general, just uh, someone who is indefinitely a civil rights activist himself using it in his work, whether it's um, through creations of different characters or um, challenging the comic book code just to um, put certain subjects in the comic book community where people were kind of afraid to talk about whether it was drugs, race, violence, sex, abuse, whether it was uh, what was happening in the war on terror, what was happening with saturation in um, the minority communities, whether it was black exploitation, whether it was Spanish exploitation. Uh, It was so much. Um, Like I was saying before, sorry for that. Um, He's someone that um, dug tooth and nail to get where he was in the comic book industry. Um, As a fellow New Yorker, I I respect his work and his life's achievements uh, abundantly, in my opinion. I feel that uh, with his passing, there's definitely um, something of a miss right now in the world when it comes to a person who brings so much joy, whether it's just speaking about uh, comic books or or life in general, or just the fact to, to, to live your dreams. I think he is such a, a beacon of hope, and you see that in his characters. Um, it, they just express themselves throughout through Stanley's life. They're basically a mirror image of him in different ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that wholeheartedly. He's, uh, he's definitely made an impact, and he's definitely shook some waters. With, with some of the subjects he's talked about. And I think it was, it was definitely all for, for a really good reason. And I think it really did a lot of good. And it really um, opened people up, you know, being able to say, you know, this is a real thing. This is, this is something that happens. And we don't, we don't need to stay silent about it. We need to actually talk about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, speaking about troubling times or shaking the waters there how do you feel i'm not too sure if you're aware of bill maher's recent comics with stanley's passing uh, making it uh not really a big deal whatsoever that he was a glorified cartoonist and that um the people who who look for value in his work or look for inspiration what he's done in his career are just kids that never grew up and kids that um got jobs and never really wanted to quote unquote adult they just wanted to stick with the funnies and live out fantasies that they could never have in real life that stanley's career ultimately is just for daydreamers and not for real people 
Well, no, I actually haven't heard about that yet, uh, Val, but uh, in my opinion, I mean, that is definitely a very drastic, very cynical point of view uh, with that because Stan Lee was definitely one of, I mean, like I was saying before, I mean, he was, he, he made waves. I mean, he, he really impacted a lot of things. And when it comes to his works and, and, and that one gentleman saying that um, it was, you know, we're just acting like children. I really don't think that's, that's definitely not a fair statement to make. I mean, because yes, we're, you know, we're experiencing a fantasy world. Yes. We're, you know, we're, we, we do like the funnies every once in a while. But the thing is, is there's a lot more than just funnies in those comic books. There's some really troubling things. There's some really, you know, very hard hitting subjects. Like you were saying, I mean, from but definitely you were saying about um his influences and his creations yeah um with all of stan uh influences and creations i mean he um he's definitely like you were saying he he has hit those those hard-hitting subjects and he has you know definitely wrote about a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't and yep it's a very ignorant, a very cynical, and honestly, I think it's a very selfish thing to say. I mean, this man, I mean, at the very least, it feels like there's, there's a, definitely, of course, there's a lack of respect in, in, in all of those statements that were made, um, especially to someone who, I mean, if you're going to make those statements about someone, they should at least be able to defend themselves. And I feel like the time that he's doing it, the timing and how it's, how it's being done, I feel like is, is like I said before, it's very cowardly. It really does seem like that. And I, I think that comparing people who indulge in those worlds as children is something that clearly they <laughs> then, um, I, I forget his name, but uh, who you were talking about, he, uh, He's clearly never actually read the comics. He's clearly never dulled in those stories. And he, he very clearly um, is ignorant to everything that they represent for a lot of people and the deeper, harsher meaning stories that lie within. Oh, I totally agree. Um, insensitive is the biggest word I can say right now, especially with the recent passing and how fast that was. And um, as you were saying before, there's a lot of meat when it comes to these comic books. You know, Stan Lee, um, in his own right, has given us um, so much juicy content throughout the years. And when you look at it as just funnies, you have to look beyond that sometimes throughout the years. You know, you look at the 1960s and how crazy it was back then with the comics code and just racism in general, how to make a prominent black character, a rich black character as one of the main staples of your universe. That took balls for yeah. someone to talk about teenage um, puberty and um, how your body's always changing and how you don't know how to deal with responsibility or death is bold. We were in Gandhi's comic books, not even um, from the 50s to the 60s. You know, at that time, we were having Batman doing bing, bang, pow, boom with Robin. And Superman was just saving people in buildings, you know, putting out fires, not really hitting people. You know, at that time, we were getting deep conversations, especially in the DC side of things. But Stan Lee was giving us that. 
Were they hidden a tad bit? I want to say so. Not too much, but they weren't very blatant when it, when it came to like sexuality or, or racism. But if you took the time to pay attention and look and see what was happening in these comics, you can see the similarities that are happening in the real world. You can see a Charles Xavier um, be a Martin Luther King. And uh, like I was saying before, you can see the similarities with um, Professor X being Stanley's own um, Martin Luther King and being his own Malcolm X, you know, um, two sides of the coin right there. You could definitely just um, see the similarities in real life and what they were fighting for. So, you know, and even to take serious subjects away, you know, he brought so many lightning moments, you know, so many iconic characters. Hell, these are mythology in a way. You can look at that as, you know, the stories that are passed down from generation to generation. Sure, they're not like, you know, uh, Odysseus or Hercules, but, you know, in their own right, you know, almost like 100 years of comics, you can say that. Well, definitely, definitely. I, I definitely agree on that. I mean... Heck, I, I mean, I, of course, I probably know who Spider-Man was today, but as a kid, I had no idea who Spider-Man was. And my dad is the one that said, hey, you know, have you have you seen this? And he showed me Spider-Man and I thought it was the coolest thing. I'm like, who is this guy who has all this strength and seeing some buildings and doing this and doing that? I thought it was the craziest thing. And you know, as I, as I grew, I, I learned more and more about it. I became more intrigued and, and I... I Honestly, it became something that, you know, is it's it's one of the greatest things to try to learn about all that mythology because there's so much. There's so much mythos and there's so much uni- there's so many different universes and mini stories and what ifs and 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 like little side stories and and then these big stories that are going on at the same time. I mean it's there's so many things happening and it's it's definitely a, a entire treasure trove of just mythos and knowledge that, that someone can get that's definitely, definitely enjoyable. Definitely. Most definitely. But let's start off with some. Kick us off right now since uh, it's your first time on the podcast. Why don't you start off with your number five? So I, uh, I thought long and hard about my number five here. Um, and... When it came to number five, I was trying to think, honestly, I wanted number five to actually be a villain. Um, and I wanted number five to be someone who I felt like was a very influential villain. And honestly, one of probably the best villains I think have, have been in one of Stanley's, uh, you know, comic books and series in a long time. And so I actually chose Dr. Doom. Um, Ooh, I like I it. I chose Doctor Doom because he's one of those villains that he just how much. Of course, he's he's deeply entangled with everything revolving around the Fantastic Four, but it goes even beyond that. I mean, he's he's. It... Okay. But yes, yeah, so go ahead, go on with Doctor Doom. Uh, so basically, like I was saying, is 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 this, you know, this. This this man that's that you know at some points has obtained this godlike power, and I mean you have Thanos, but of course he's a titan though, so he's already stronger. He's already you know he's already all these things. But Doctor Doom is just a man, and of course there was the whole event that you know got him his powers with Fantastic Four and everything. But I just 
when I think of a villain, though, I want my villain to be to want that power and to do what it takes to get that power, and that's the thing that drives them. And and Doom is definitely that villain. And as mainstream as Thanos is and everything, like I understand Thanos is awesome. He's really cool. I like him. But when I think of a Marvel villain, I honestly think of Doctor Doom. I don't. I mean. Of course, when I think of MCU, of course I go to Thanos. But when I go Marvel comics, it's it's all about Doctor Doom. Oh yeah, and I think that's an excellent choice right there. I find Doctor Doom so fascinating on so many levels because yes, he's so connected with the Fantastic Four, and of course, right now, you know, he's his own entity in the Marvel Universe comics um, and in movies alike as well too. From movies that did come out, you know, he's one of the main villains always, but. Uh, what I love about him is that in a man that is, you know, created um, from from basically looking like a skeleton, like a like a metal skeleton, looking like death uh, personified, he's a perfectionist at heart, and he's his biggest flaw is that he's a perfectionist. I, in the early drawings. Um, Kirby and Stan Lee just gave him a scar on his face and that alone made him want to you know, encase his body in a metal suit, so if that doesn't scream ego issues, I don't know what does but for someone that um, has always wanted to one-up Reed Richards, you know always trying, because he's just as smart as Reed Richards if not smarter in some occasions Um, for someone who always wanted to gain the affection of Sue Storm, whoever who always wanted to outwit Johnny and, of course, get under the hard skin of Ben, he's always been someone that can be a foe by himself to attack the Fantastic Four and eventually beat them on many occasions. What I don't like about the character now is I feel that he's like stuck in his own um, bootleg Croatian world that he's in right now, in his own homeland. Uh, but in the early creations, he was like someone out of Al-Qaeda, basically. He was, you know, a terrorist. He was someone that, you know, held people hostage, was trying to blow people up. He was a national threat. And I think now he's more of a sympathetic character. If a name like Dr. Doom, um, you would think that he's a world ender. And to see him now these days as someone that could be an Avenger in a way, like an anti-hero, an Iron Man almost, if you will. I don't know. It just takes away from the character, but the original incarnation with Stan Lee, it's just iconic. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Now, I think that Dr. Doom was a fantastic choice. I pose this question to you. Uh, nothing really Stan Lee related, but if you were to see Dr. Doom in the big screen again, would you rather see it in a Fantastic Four movie one more time, or would you rather see him use in a different matter? Maybe somewhere down the line in Avengers, somewhere down the line in someone else's movie as a cameo, maybe in a villain's movie, if you will. So when it comes to Doom, I think what they need to do, because I really want to see Fantastic Four, of course X-Men, but we're focused on Fantastic Four. So Fantastic Four and Doom, I want to see them integrated into the MCU and the way to do it though is I think they would have to do another Fantastic Four movie. The reason why is because of course you know with like with Claw they they integrated him into Ultron and, and the Ultron Avengers and, and I know they they did that but the thing is though is in my mind Claw is not nearly 
nearly as big of a of a deal as Doom is, and I feel like you can't just slip, you know, a character like Doom into that much of a cameo. Now, I mean, if you wanted to maybe introduce him in like you know like a newspaper article on the side while someone you know while two you know while two people are talking or something you know just like a subtle clue that's fine but i feel like in terms of doom victor von doom himself i feel like it definitely needs to be another fantastic four movie the definitive fantastic four movie where marvel does it and they do it right and i think it'd be fantastic let's put the scenario out there here uh Avengers, uh, Infinity War 2, next Avengers movie, whatever you want to call it there, end credits roll. Uh, let's presume that Tony Stark is still alive. Let's presume that, you know, the threat of Thanos is over. Uh, that's another worldly threat. You know, this is stuff in the cosmic universe, but we're not really paying attention to what's happening on Earth that much now. And what if you just got an end credit scene that... You know, you see newspaper articles and CNN and different things of that nature just say that a, a new country um, is threatening to take over America. And you get the Laveria um, reference there. That that would be, uh, you know what? <laughs> you ever thought about working for Marvel? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, just, it works so well because you that... just get out of space for a little bit. And just have that incoming doom there. And yeah, it may be a little cluttered about a tad bit because, yeah, we were signed that Daniels is done and we're signed that, you know, the world is saved and now another threat is coming. But I could see it. Yeah, like a, like a, or even it could, I mean, it would be great as an end credit. Of course, it'd be, you know, like a, like a collage and like a, like a rapid fire amount of, you know, like these news articles and papers coming out of area and everything. But, I mean, I even think if you're going to go that route, it could even be, you know, in just the background of the TV, you could see it with, like, the headline and the news anchor. Yep, like you were saying on the news headline. Yeah, so I think that, I mean, they could even do, like, a, like a news, li- news line in the background, you know, during a, during a major event where it just says, you know, tensions with left area rising. I mean, you could even do something something small, subtle, but just... For the people, you know, the fans, the the really diehard fans who know what that country is and what that means, I feel like that would that would definitely be like a bombshell that you drop in the middle of what's most likely an already tense situation going on um, in the foreground. Here's one more pitch, and we'll get on to my number five right there. I know people are waiting on that. Um, next Black Panther movie you know, one of the richest nations in the, in the world takes on one of the poorest nations in the world, but helmed by a sorcerer who the Black Panthers never fought before. So is that the, uh, I actually haven't, haven't really heard much into this. Is that the, uh, no, synopsis? not at all. That's, this is me just pitching right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I mean that something like that could definitely work. Um, just because, of course, you had, you know, the originally you know, the different the different tribes at first, you know, all, you know, um, and then you had Killmonger and everything, and it, it was very all about family and all about, you know, this this community. But at the same time, though, it was also about, about isolation and 
there's definitely a lot of, of, of social problems going on in the world too. I, I definitely think they could definitely tackle something similar. Um, except for you, for what you were saying, it sounds like it'd be more of a overcoming this, this entirely new obstacle that, you know, for once Wakanda isn't prepared for when, you know, Wakanda is prepared for everything and they're, they're technologically advanced and they're, they're able to basically do anything they want. And they, they get stuck in the scenario where they're against this, this old magic almost. It would, it would definitely, I feel like, it, I think it'd definitely be a, a great adventure for, uh, for Panther to go on. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's get into my number five right here. My number five comes from the 1960s, was one of Stan Lee's originals with artist Bill Everett and influences from Jack Kirby as well, too. I think at this time, Kirby, Everett, Stan Lee were looking at Batman. And they were looking at how successful Batman was as a vigilante. And even though Marvel at that time didn't have many quote-unquote vigilantes doing justice, I felt that this right... And I felt that this character was the epitome of justice. If anything, he was the epitome of blind justice. My number five pick is Daredevil. Daredevil. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Something about Daredevil at that time just screamed Stan Lee because of the fact that all the injustices that were happening in the world, um, I felt that he saw the corruption of what lawyers were doing at that time as well, too. You know, taking back into deals uh, uh, with uh, political parties involved as well, too, especially the civil rights era. And someone like a Matt Murdock, who is literally blind and looking at people with um, turning their back on the justice system, speaks volumes right there. This character who, yes, he is uh, a lawyer uh, by day, but of course he is judge, jury, and executioner at night. Um, it, it's, it's, it's so telling for that time right there. Of course, if he could not get the job done in the courtrooms, he got the job at night. Of course, he never killed anybody at that time. He wasn't someone that uh, used some crazy violence like the Punisher would, but he was someone that got the job done and made his intent clear. Um, I thought this character was very, very brilliant for its um, time. I felt like Matt Murdock was very much the glue of that MCU universe that Stan Lee and Kirby ever was creating because, hell, (laughs) even them at that time, they foreshadowed all the craziness at the Avengers, that uh, Iron Man, that um, the Hulk, that um, Spider-Man, things of that nature. All these costume heroes would need a lawyer one day. He eventually became the lawyer of the MCU for a while, so I found that very interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, with with, with Daredevil, I mean, it really is interesting. I mean, even, I mean, the subtlety of the him just being justice as blind incarnate. I mean, mm-hmm. he... he he was so focused on justice. I mean, I mean, I mean, and it really is like a spin off of you know, uh, you know, it to an extreme of you know, Batman's all about justice and this and that. But Matt Murdock, it's he literally is daytime. He's you know, he he's just like a normal person. He's just a blind lawyer, and he he really does you know take things and handle them on a civil level and at night though for some of those bigger crime bosses you know that he can't quite you know put away in jail through the the normal process of the legal system he definitely administers some pain and and takes care of it that way 
one of the biggest things that I admire about the character as well too is um, his his devout history when it comes to um, the Catholic religion. Uh, I, I feel that his, his religion, his faith is his biggest asset and his biggest detriment as well too. And you can see that with Stan Lee as well, that maybe he had internal feelings about religion, internal feelings about faith. Um, you know, here's a young person questioning his own morals in the world, looking outside the window and seeing, should I help people? Should I not? Uh, why would God be doing this? If there's someone that is all seeing, all taking care of, all justice, why isn't that being uh, implementing justice in the world? Um, I think that's telling right there. To see Matt struggle with his faith, I could definitely see that Stan Lee is struggling with his faith internally as well, too. Yeah, I could definitely see that as well, and in, in, in the character and and how you know the the you know Catholicism is definitely a very large standing point, and the the whole you know premise of you know why are you know these these this evil getting away with these things, and why is this good getting punished when they shouldn't? And it, it's definitely a very like. Um, it definitely shows that, you know, not everything is as black and white as it might seem. And there's that gray area of, you know, of justice that, you know, for the most part wasn't being handled. And I feel like Daredevil does a very good job at, at handling that gray area. For the most part, at that time, I want to say so. Matt Murdock has changed leaps and bounds these days. But for the core premise of what Matt Murdock was back in the day, I feel that that original incarnation of, of Daredevil and Matt, um, you know, Justice by Day, Jury, and Executioner by Night, uh, I just love that right there. Um, another question I pose to you as we get on to our next subject after this. Um, looking at the Daredevil series now, it was just um, released today that, there will be no season four for Daredevil. Things have been canceled, uh, most likely due to the Disney uh, streaming service coming out next year. Um, how did you feel about um, Daredevil's presence in mainstream media now? I feel um, that Charlie Cox did a, a splendid job myself, but to another fan who does enjoy um, different iterations of characters on TV and film, did you enjoy the series at all? Did you want to see more of it or could you live without it? I think they did. They, I think they definitely did a fantastic job. I, um, I didn't feel, for the most part, I never felt like they were being. Let's just put it this way. I, of course, you know that 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 original Daredevil movie that came out that definitely wasn't the greatest film in the world, and I felt like this was definitely, um, this was definitely not that. I feel like it was definitely a, a very faithful. And a very, um, a very, I, I mean, it's pretty accurate, honestly. I mean, it was a very accurate with the theming and the storytelling that they did. I think they did a really good job. Same here. I think they handled certain um, aspects of the character really well, uh, especially in the last season. And, you know, not to make a punny joke, but they didn't iron fist it. So I think they really did a great job <laughs> when it came to this character. I think they sat down, they really did storyboards on what it meant to be Matt Murdock and what it meant to be um, the man without fear. So I think um, it's sad to see that series go, um, especially with the, with the raving reviews from the last series, series three, season three. Um, 
uh, it's sad to see that universe kind of end. Who knows if it'll be picked up by that Disney streaming service? I highly doubt it because of the content. Um, but you know, uh, it left a mark on me. I think I definitely think it left a mark on fans. So uh, I know Stan Lee was raving about it as well too. So this is something that um, will be missed though. Definitely. But let's get into your number four. So I uh, I did another villain for number four. I, I didn't want there to be too many heroes because I feel like whenever anybody makes top, top lists, um, unless it's specified villains, I mean villains, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of heroes. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about another villain that I really enjoyed and I really thought was a very good story arc to tell. And so I actually chose uh, Otto Octavius. Ooh. And the reason why I chose Otto Octavius is because I love seeing the dramatic story behind Otto and how, I mean, Octavius, I mean, for most of his life, he's been a good man. He's been, you know, He's, he's just been a scientist who just wanted to help the world. And I love seeing on how that, that wanting to help the world and that scientist just through, you know, these events in his life, it, it unfortunately, you know, twisted and tangled him up, you know, and into this, this being that becomes Octavius. And I feel like the interactions that he has with Spider-Man, especially in some of the, the newer media too, is you know and peter parker and everything is some of the greatest storytelling i've seen with the you know your your mentor becoming unfortunately your greatest villain and your hero and your father figure becoming someone who unfortunately is is turned into that villain is is such a great premise and i feel like it it definitely hits hard with a lot of people and a lot of people can definitely resonate with it and I, uh, I, I really think that Octavius is very well-crafted and very well-thought-out villain. Uh, I totally agree. Even till today, um, looking at Otto Octavius and um, different incarnations of him to the point where he actually switched bodies with Peter Parker, becoming the yeah. spe- superior Spider-Man mm-hmm. at one point. For almost a year, more than a year right there, we had Otto as Spider-Man. So I found that interesting and to say that you can use a villain and put him into a superhero's body and still captivate an audience um, with different storytelling, with conflicting storytelling, not knowing what to do with that character or if you can trust that character while you're reading him. Um, if you're rooting for him as well, too, it's it's very interesting. I look at Otto as one of Peter's greatest villains, if not the greatest villain for him, because he's so connected to him uh, with his studies as a father figure. Um, you know, Peter's always longing for a father figure to see Otto, you know, praise him, but also scold him at the same time as a father would. Uh, those growing pains with these two, whether friend or foe, it, it's so telling right there. And of course, even different depictions of Otto, um, I think, uh, not to stray away from Stan Lee's creation, but I think the character was kind of hurt in the 90s. Uh, he was given this German accent on the, the television series, and it was kind of hurt the character as this, like, 
whimsical villain that had, you know, mechanical arms and just would run away from danger if he could. And I feel like Otto is so much more. He is um, a leader by nature. I mean, hell, lead the Sinister Six at one point. Um, he is someone who matches the intellect of a Norman Osborn, uh, of a Peter Parker, uh, so much other more, of a Tony Stark even. I could say that as well, too. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I feel that this character in his early incarnations sets the tone of what Peter becomes later on as a hero because, of course, he has to fight quintessentially a friend. Well, I think I think it's even more than that. I think in some incarnation, he basically, I mean, he's fighting the husk of the man that used to be his father. I mean, yep. with and it's 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 hard for him to do, and it, it becomes this. I think Octavius is fantastic at being this this development for the entire Spider-Man, you know, series and this 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 pinnacle of Peter having to learn about, you know, not only does Peter basically get a father back, he loses one all over again. Mm-hmm. And for the, for like the third time, you know, it's it, it and it's it's definitely a, a fantastic arc and a, He's just a fantastic villain in general. Um, I watched the animated series, the 90s series. I wasn't really much for Octavius then. Um, but uh, as I got older and I actually started getting into more deeper Octavius stories, he, he definitely quickly became a, a, a favorite very quickly. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I, and you can tell of a great character that Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, uh, created at that time. I, I feel that it's so telling because of the fact that you still see him as a mainstay in this universe, not even in the, in the Spider-Man franchise, but in the universe altogether when it comes to uh, Marvel Comics. Um, so many times we've seen him in different in, uh, iterations, whether in movies, uh, Spider-Man 2, for example, one of the best Spider-Man movies, in my opinion, one of the best Marvel movies, in my opinion, because of the relationship with Peter and Otto right there, you can tell level of respect and potentially love for these two characters have for each other. Um, you see it in the most recent Spider-Man video game, how Otto's such a main role for Peter. You are literally working side by side with Octavius, left and right, completing tasks with him. Hell, he's even making you a spider suit at one point. So it, it's a character that you want to just hold dear and hoping that he doesn't, you know, eventually turn. And when he does, it's still satisfying because he's a villain that knows Peter. He knows him left to right, up to down. He knows his weaknesses and his strengths. He's ultimately Spider-Man's biggest foe, best foe. And people will challenge me on that, but I believe it. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. How do you feel about um, with new Spider-Man movies coming out with Sony and Marvel productions all together. Do you see Otto making one more run in the cinematic universe or do you think we're going to be playing with some different characters for a while? So, I think um, I think we might be seeing Otto again. Um, we definitely I think what they're going to do first though is they're definitely going to tackle some villains that weren't really tackled before. Um, they're definitely going to tackle some villains that if they were tackled before, they weren't tackled very well. Um, right. So they definitely did Vulture first, and that was fantastic. I think Home- Homecoming was a great movie, and is definitely a movie that Spider-Man deserved. And uh, with this upcoming one, with the rumors of Mysterio and Scorpion and 
and all this craziness. I think it's it's definitely going to be um, this next movie is going to be fantastic, and uh, hopefully they do put Otto in again. Um, but only time will really tell. We'll just see. Have to see how it goes. You know, I totally agree with you on that. Um, they do have the makings for a Sinister Six movie to to emerge finally. And as much as I don't want to see that right now, because I feel that's Sony's agenda to have that Sinister Six movie, I feel like they're just having this hard on to have it for some reason, like their own big bad universe in a way. And they're kind of running on the heels of Marvel doing so. But if you were to do it correctly, you are sowing the seeds together for it. You know, you have Vulture's interaction with Shocker at one point, with Scorpion at one point, although it's not a full-fledged Scorpion at that time. We see him make that cameo at the end of Homecoming, talking to Michael Keaton's um, Vulture. Um, You see the makings of uh, Mysterio in the Far From Home movie coming up uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. So, in my you know, this is a kind of a revelation for me right now. Sorry, fans. Sorry, people that listen to this. Because in my head, I'm thinking this is like Norman Osborn kind of funding these uh, characters to have these uh, pieces of armor that uh, are making you more extravagant the way you are. You know, of course, that's Norman's ultimate goal is to have something um, that enhances somebody. But it makes more sense for it to be Otto Octavius making the Sinister Six. And I very well do think it, it could be Otto. I mean, because when I think about Norman, I feel like the first thing he'd want to do is, I mean, honestly, I think he'd want to enhance himself first. Exactly. I mean, because he wants to be the most powerful there is. And, I mean, I think that he would want powerful but not as powerful beings underneath him. Because, of course, he doesn't want anyone that can take his throne. But I think that with Octavius, though, if Octavius was really working at it, he doesn't care. I mean, he's he's the brains. He's always going to be the brains, and no one's ever going to challenge him like that, especially if he creates everything for them, and he basically gives them this new life that they've never had. I don't... Especially the fact that Otto already has the capacity to act like a father, like he did Peter. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he basically became the leader of this new Sinister Six. Six that I I know I agree and I know so Sony is is pushing this hard. They're definitely trying to cram a, a Sinister Six movie wherever they can get it. And I've actually already seen um, uh, releases from Sony at some point, basically saying um, that after Amazing Spider-Man three, before they pulled the plug. Um, they were actually planning on trying to integrate uh, somehow they were going to make it to where they did their Sinister Six finally. But it's just that uh, there's a there's a lot of things that happened um, with uh, Garfield never showing up to one of the press conferences and, and all this other stuff happening and the script revolving around Spider-Man like being able to bring people and beings back to life that they kind of just pulled the plug on everything and uh, axed it. But if they do do a Sinister Six, I feel like Marvel will be able to put enough of a break on it to make it to where, if they do, at least it'll be done right. So here's a big question before I get into my number four. Uh, Do you see MCU Prime, MCU Universe for the movies, Disney-owned, using Norman first, or do you see Sony grabbing Norman? Hmm. 
Honestly, I say this. I say this. Not to cut you off. I say this because if there are rumors for a secret invasion with the scrolls, it only makes sense to end that off with Norman finishing them off and starting Dark Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be their way to uh, to kind of have a new like end goal again and end game. That's like five, six years down, though, man. That's like, this is me being Kevin, <laughs> yeah. Kevin fucking Feige and, like, having my masterpiece on the wall saying, this is where we're going to. I doubt they're probably, well, I don't know. I can't doubt that. You never know. I mean, there's there's, there's been rumors, too. I mean, for all we know, the, the next main villain's going to be Galactus. But, I mean, honestly, I think it could really go either way. I think, I honestly, I mean, I don't know about you. I'd be happy either way. I think they're doing a great job. And, um... We'll just have to uh, to wait another, you know, another decade and see where that that leads us. I'm down. I'm down being 40 years old watching like the 10th Avengers. That works for me. <laughs> um, 4D experience. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. It's like literally feeling like Wolverine sweat on my face at that yeah. at that time. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm down for that. Um, so let's get into number four from mine right here. Uh, I'm gonna match your villain for a villain as well too. Um, I feel like he is one of the most influential villains of the time. I feel that this character, of course, it's a cliche to say, but the best characters and best villains are ones that don't think they're villains themselves. And of course, this villain coming from suffering and having so much anger toward the human race. And this, this, is, this goes to mutant and human alike power to non-power this person who has dealt with real life travesties to come up from that and still challenge the normal challenge the the right with his own brand of righteousness this man is magneto and i i feel that magneto is so influential because like i was saying before in the opening that he matches what's happening in the real world in the civil rights movement. He is Malcolm X. He is, and basically is the Malcolm X to Professor Xavier's Martin Luther King. Whereas the X-Men were an outlet for Stanley to talk about racism. Um, You can see Charles Xavier being someone that's promoting peace and promoting unity while Magneto is performing, you know, activism on such an extreme level to the point where he's actually becoming his own terrorist in a way. So not to say that Malcolm X was a terrorist, but he's the extreme version of if Malcolm X really were to take the next step in the world. Um, He's someone who's so influential because you can see his point of view, someone coming from um, Nazi concentration camps and seeing his mother, his family die in that, his people die in that and this is not just from a mutant's perspective from a boy's perspective without even powers seeing what humankind can do to each other let alone do to mutants let alone do to someone who looks different who feels different who smells different who has different color hair who has different color eyebrows um eyelids um everything all together speaks with a different accent he's seeing the worst of humankind and he's out to fix it in a way in some weird way, you can agree with this character. And uh, you definitely can agree with, with certain aspects of Magneto. 
I feel like a lot of people you can have a lot of empathy with him with some of his you know his his feelings I mean because he really did I mean he never got a childhood to grow up into he never got to see the beauty of mankind he only got to see the ugly and the evil and the dark and the disgusting and he never all he saw was that mankind will kill one another for as little as you know pigmentation or you know or a you know a, a different color in the eye or or like you were saying you know a different accent a, a different a different lineage a different heritage a different belief it doesn't matter what it is that you know he saw the evil that mankind will kill one another for something as small as that and he he really did become an advocate of, well, you know, they are never going to peacefully settle this, so we have to fight our way out of it. And he really did become, you know, the Malcolm X to, you know, Xavier's Martin Luther. And it's, it, it's definitely, especially for when he was created, that was one of the best themes I think you could have in a comic book with showing and being able to kind of tell the story about how, you know, there's this equality battle going on between, you know, human mutants in the comic books. Well, meanwhile, there's these, 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 these transgressions against people of, of different colors just because they're different colors. And that's the only difference. And just like with mutants, they have one little thing different about them, and so automatically they are are doomed to be nothing and doomed to be someone who is an outcast. Definitely. Uh, totally agree with that right there. And you look at um, what probably Stanley was feeling at that time as well, too. I, I can see a man being very empathetic with someone so righteous as well, too. Um, someone who, who, who was you know, an activist himself in the civil rights movement, you can see both sides of the coins there. You can see someone who is definitely, you know, on the sidelines promoting peace, but also you can see someone who can be so radical, um, you know, looking like, uh, at people those days, you know, uh, trying to get away from war, from poverty, from, from uh, racism, from any kind of prejudice whatsoever. You can see that most likely Stan Lee was empathizing with someone who, who would go that extra mile? Not to say he would himself. And people probably could say, "Oh, well, look at the X Men and they're their own uh, brand of justice themselves." Not in their earlier uh, iterations. The X Men were were a task force to you know more. Not even a police force. They were more like you know glorified bodyguards at first with superpowers. You know, let's protect the innocent, um, never at all cost. I think with Magneto and the Brotherhood, he was the actual police force. He was protect at all cost. And I think um, the duality that Stan Lee was going through at that time shows in these comic books, especially with Magneto's persona. Definitely. Um, so now uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about my number three choice. Go for now, it. Uh, this choice here is uh, we are going to do a hero, finally. I'm, I'm doing a good guy, all right? <laughs> the good guys are here. Um, well, except this guy, he's kind of a good guy. Um, 
and I feel like with some of the tones in, and definitely one of the major themes in, in, in some of his comic books, um, he's definitely hit some, some, some themes I can really relate to um, on a family level. And I feel like that it's more of a you know, personal opinion on why I like him so much. But uh, I got to go with Tony Stark. Um, Ooh. I, Iron Man, Tony Stark, he's the reason why I think he's such a great creation is because you have this cocky, ar- well, I'm not going to call him arrogant because he's a, he's a really smart guy. You have this cocky, bombastic, just playboy, you know, and, and he believes that he can pretty much do anything he wants, however he wants to. And it kind of evolves, though, into him being this hero out of just necessity. And he, he finally uses his mind to do something good. And he finally uses his mind to actually build a suit of armor around himself. And at the same time, he's trying to build a suit of armor around the entire world. And he's trying to know be the hero for everyone and and every person and at the same time though when you go to the man underneath the suit that man has a lot of things that he's actually he has his vices that break him i mean there is that entire line about his alcoholism and i feel like that is one of those things that hits with so many people that know people that were alcoholics or how to be in family with alcoholism and they, they knew exactly how devastating that all is and how destructive it all is. And, and I feel like they really did a fantastic job in you know, taking this man who was seemingly invincible to everything and breaking him down into a man just like everyone else that has their problems, that has their vices, and that while he was saving the entire world, he wasn't exactly saving himself. Uh, perfect analogy of Iron Man and Tony Stark together right there. And I could add on to that, cherry pick on that, saying that basically was Stanley's life. Um, looking at the Marvel comics and how they were just blossoming and booming at the time and how there was just something new and fresh, Stanley was untouchable. And to see someone who had his own personal demons, who had his own personal problems, using comic books as a suit of armor, it's definitely what Iron Man is right there. He is Tony Stark in a way, not to the sensationalism of alcoholism or daddy issues, well, maybe daddy issues. No. But I do think that it's a great metaphor for what Stanley was going through as well, too, being as popular as a Hugh Hefner at the time. I'll say it. I don't give a damn. You know, this guy could sling dick all day. But um, to see Stan Lee um, hide his insecurities just like Iron Man's hiding his frailty underneath the armor, just goes hand in hand. Yeah, it really does. And I feel like that's why he's he's definitely... All right, Big Shug. So you were talking about the similarities between Tony Stark and Stan Lee. Go on. Yeah, so the there, there's a lot of similarities between the two... Um, being Iron Man and Stan Lee, it, 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 you can clearly see how 
Stanley really wanted to do the same thing Tony was doing, which is trying to put their own version of armor around the world. I mean, for Stanley, he was trying to, I guess, he was trying to give people their their own pastime, their own form of really being able to enjoy things and Iron Man's more was of course, you know, with, with robots and machines, but they they both really cared about the world and wanted to do everything for it. Meanwhile though, you can kind of see though that both of them they didn't it, it seems like they didn't really take care of themselves more as they did everyone else. And they didn't really give themselves the time that they needed. Um that you know they needed to. Um, uh. No, totally. I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. And I feel that with Iron Man um, being one of Stanley's greatest creations, I feel that the pinnacle of Iron Man's success is because of the themes given from Stanley talking about mm. war, talking about Tony Stark being mm. so heavily involved with war um, and looking at like the sixties mm. into the seventies with, uh, with Vietnam. Uh, I think that plays heavily into it. Like we say that Stanley was his own activist and I believe things like war, uh, things like Vietnam, things like people getting drafted, things like America um, basically Getting more momentum going into a war, trying to capitalize on on people getting drafted and new technology to kind of further their own, um, I, I guess, uh, popularity or I want to say notoriety into the world. So I think Stanley really played with those themes as well too of Iron Man, the first issues especially. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. That's it's. There's definitely a lot of similarities between the two of them, and sometimes I feel like, I mean, Stanley just kind of, whenever he was feeling, he kind of slowly kind of imprinted that onto Iron Man's, uh, well, Tony Stark's character. Well, my number three, I'm going to say this. I feel like this creation right here was more for Stanley to have fun with. Uh, there may be a deeper meaning when it comes to things uh, with his character, but for the most part, when he was first created, I felt like this was Stanley. You know, he went overboard a lot of times, you know, talking, not overboard, but he did pound uh, his personality into people like, you know, the Fantastic Four or Doctor Doom, Magneto, and the X Men. But I feel like this character here really was just to say, you know what, I can make up some words and have a good time. My number three is Doctor Strange. Okay. I feel, yeah, man, I feel at at this time that Doctor Strange was new to um, the Marvel Universe that he was creating. You know, we had our science fiction characters like the Fantastic Four, like the Incredible Hulk, heck, like Iron Man. But I feel this dove into mysticism is something that no other comic book was really diving into at that time and of course when you look at mysticism when you look at you know uh sorcery and things of that nature your only references are probably like books or disney movies at that time and you know stan lee he brought a dark uh approach to dr strange you know a philanthropist just like tony stark 
who's very arrogant and naive and uses his hands basically as his his means of being successful and ultimately his hands deceive him his hands um are broken and he has no other choice but to be humble and to be humble means to practice uh, humbling things meditation and seeking deeper meanings and maybe that's what's something that Stanley was going through at that time um maybe he was looking for a deeper meaning and everything as well too and trying to be humble and I felt like Dr. Strange gives you that that weird kooky sense of not knowing but enjoying the not knowing yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. Doctor Strange is one of those characters that is definitely way more whimsical character, way more um, out of the box kind of character. You don't really see. I mean, besides you know the the obviously the virtue of being humble. I mean, you really don't see much more from Doctor Strange um, in terms of virtues or anything. But it really is just just a really fun character, like you were saying. Um, I think some of, you know, I mean, just, I, I really enjoy um, how he gets to the point where he gets, how he goes from being this, this arrogant surgeon to becoming a, you know, the, um, the, the master, Sorcerer Supreme, the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. The Sorcerer Supreme. And it's, it, it really is a, more of a fun journey and I I really do enjoy it. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel that um, Stan Lee and Steve Dicko really, um, really had this fun with lettering and and especially in the comic books as well, how they drew it. It was very psychedelic at that time as well too. Colors are very vibrant. It was unlike any comic book out that time. You know, things, you know, pages going into loopholes, going into different dimensions, the dark dimension, and just uh, always having Dr. Strange something fun to say, even if he made up words himself, like from the holy host of Horus, comes thee, or from the flames of Nazgul, and things of that nature, like, he would just have fun with the play on words, to make Doctor Strange sound so far-fetched, but interesting at the same time. Um, even his villains, with Duramu, and, and other villains as well, too, from different dimensions as well, um, the the lineage of the Ancient One, the Sorcerer Supreme, um, so much Eastern philosophy was given in this uh, Western tale, and I felt like it blended a lot of um, Western and Eastern philosophies together to make something of a hodgepodge. But it was a fun hodgepodge. Yeah, def- yeah, it, it definitely was. Let's um, go on to your though. So my my number two, I also went for a fun character, but it's actually a very nice divide between a fun character and actually a character with a lot of internal struggle. Um. So what I actually went with for my number two was actually the Incredible Hulk. Ooh. Um, the reason why I went for Incredible Hulk is because he's probably one of the greatest Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stories ever told. I mean, he, you have Bruce Banner. You have this amazing scientist who's incredibly smart. Um, and then on this other side, you have this, you know, at first gray, but now a very... Uh, big green rage monster that you know has a really hard time controlling himself and at some points have been able to destroy planets and yet you can airdrop puppies on him and he stops dead in his track i mean it's it's a very interesting character it's very fun but at the same time though you can see that there's a lot of a lot of trouble 
with Banner, of course, because, you know, he can't really control it. All you have to do is get him angry, and then you basically black out and wake up, and then he wakes up, and, you know, half the city's gone, and he, you know, he starts to feel like a monster. And it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of theming to it. There's a lot of drive to it. And I really like Hulk. I think it's, it's a very balanced and very well thought out character. Um, of course, there's different iterations. There's a whole planet, planet Hulk line. And I just, to me, I, I think I like him so much because there is fun with Hulk, but you can also look at it and you can pull up those themes and you can actually learn something from, from Hulk too. Definitely. Um, I look at old Stanley's original creations and I feel like they're a play on horror movies and the Hulk definitely is your Frankenstein in this situation or Jekyll and Hyde as you were saying as well too. Um, I think there's so many deeper meanings to the whole character like just a representation of a young man or a young woman growing up and not being able to control their emotions and turn into a big ball of rage in one minute and then you know just yourself but confused the next minute. I feel that you can really go match side by side to someone who's on the spectrum with the Hulk as well, too, you know, not knowing um, how the actor react, not knowing um, kind of um, jumping from one body to another uh, schizophrenic as well, too. And there's so many medical um, um, terms you can actually you know, go with the Hulk at this moment in time, especially if you look at these days. But back then, I feel like it was Stan Lee as well, too. Um, just projecting why he was so angry at the world. And, you know, one minute he's just, you know, a brilliant creator like Bruce Banner is, and next minute he's just a raging monster not able to, being able to control himself, whether that's, you know, creating more content or, or, or heading um, this organization that has his back against the wall. Everybody's, you know, counting on him to make Marvel Comics succeed as being the head writer. You can see the frustration with that as well, too, and being bottled up until the point where he explodes. Yeah, you definitely can. And it's it's very interesting on how how well you can perceive those those different, like, mental and medical um, just different conditions and different you know um really different everything i mean it, it's I, I like hulk a lot it's definitely one of my favorite heroes he's ever made um and i feel like <laughs> i mean especially you know when i was a teenager i feel like i could relate a lot to hulk you know because like you were saying it's when you grow up you know you all the hormones are rushing and so you, your your emotions are insane one moment you're yep. angry the next moment you're crying the next moment you're happy the next you know it's it's a it's a roller coaster every single day and i feel like that's it's another good you know good thing for people to read because especially when they're growing up like you said and it's for that reason um and i think overall i mean i think that's that's one of the reasons i think that hulk really is one of my my favorite heroes I I love the Hulk for his battles as well too. He always has like a formidable enemy as well. Um, some of them are related to his game of power. Some of them not. Do you have a favorite? I want to say a Hulk one on one, a villain or anti hero or even hero that he went up against. 
honestly, I liked it when um, Hulk and Wolverine fought. Ooh, okay. I like Hulk and Wolverine just because you have this this seemingly just all-powerful just rage monster versus this this man that can I mean you can break but he heals so fast yeah so it becomes like this constant like back and forth back and forth back and forth at the same time though I think a really really close tie would be Hulk and Thor Um, just because at that point it's not much so much as a battle of you know being able to heal versus being able to destroy it's more of a battle of just power versus power and i feel like there's it, it, it's very um destructive and very just just literally awesome and it's um i think both of those fights honestly are, are kind of hard for me to choose between the two of them but i mean even though they're they're both against heroes i think they're they're very they're definitely some of my favorites. Hulk versus Wolverine is one of my favorites as well, too. It definitely is the irresistible force versus the immovable object. And I feel that both of those characters do justice in that first meeting and other meetings as well, too. Uh, if you even look at things like Old Man Logan, you see, you know, Logan take on, you know, Mephisto, the Hulk at that time. Um, you know, it, it's unforgettable of their altercations but my number two has a lot of history with the hulk as well too and maybe i mean at the time from the 60s to the 80s they have some memorable fights especially who's strongest um so that's why it kind of ties into that right there but it's not really a character it's a bunch of characters in one group hell they're the first marvel group they're the first marvel family in fact they're maybe the first marvel superhero if you really want to go down that road um my number two is the fantastic four all right the fantastic four i love this because i like the uh, dichotomy of every single character i feel that every character has their own personality and of course like we were talking about the hulk situation i love reading old comics of the thing and the hulk fighting to see who's strongest and never being a clear clear cut winner at the time because they're both good guys yeah um, one of the biggest things that i love about the fantastic four once again when we talk about the comics code and stanley's fighting the man at that time if you will with the comics code you know not trying to bring regular superheroes into the world, you know, vigilantes, if you will. So what you do is you make a horror book centered around a family, and that's what the Fantastic Four was. It was basically a family that went through, you know, this horrible accident. And as we talked about with our Dr. Doom selection, um, this family is so tied together with Sue Storm being the, the mother the mother of the whole Fantastic Four, whether she's Reed's wife or, you know, Johnny's brother, the Thing's friend, uh, Ben's friend, I feel like she plays mom to everybody with um, Johnny being, you know, the little brother you never had, um, Thing being the big brother you never had, and of course, Reed being ultimate dad, being frustrated because he is one of the smartest men in the world, not being able to fix his own family. So 
you can look at so many instances, whether his relationship with his wife regarding Sue Storm and being the ultra chick, being the woman that will take care of you no matter what and has your back. No matter what wrong you do, she will always have your back. And Reed has done so much wrong in the later comics, uh, whether it's having those stable friendships with Ben or Johnny, whether it's just being someone who is trying to stretch his imagination or stretch his bounds of being a creator. Uh, you can look at his um, similarities with Reed, just being his ultimate creator and not knowing what to do with it half the time, not knowing if he can be successful with what he does. So I feel the Fantastic Four is one of Stanley's greatest creations because they're one of his first creations. Yeah, I can I can definitely agree with everything that you just said. I mean, they they the interactions, the the relationships for every character and the, the struggles and the emotions within every character. I mean, Johnny, I mean, for the most part, I mean, he pretty much loves his powers. But then you have Thing, who feels like a monster. You have Sue, who feels like she needs to always shield everyone, which is, of course, ties into her powers. And then you have Mr. Fantastic, which, because of the fact that he is one of the smartest men in the world, I mean, he's even, you know, he's even part of the Illuminati. I mean, he... He's being stretched every which way, not only by people, but by his own mind. I mean, he's he's constantly trying to think of different things, X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, all at the same time. And it's definitely taxing on him, and he definitely makes mistakes. But then when he makes those mistakes, he has his family to fall back on. He has the, the other three to fall back on, and they're, they're there with him. They're there with him through the fights. They're, they, are, they are willing to help and, you know, and you know, help ascend their leader to, you know, be able to do the great things that he wants to do and to help him through the times when he does make those mistakes. And, and Sue, she really is, though, she, she is the, the glue that helps bind them together when, you know, Johnny and, and Thing get into a fight or, you know, they just, they just all start to disagree with each other. She's normally the one that says, okay, let's think about this for a second and, and holds them together. Johnny just brings the fun into it. He, he's a very fun and, and very loving character. Um, he does care about every single one of them, no matter, no matter his quips. Um, and Thing just wants, just wants peace, honestly. You can tell he kind of, I mean, he, he gets a tiny bit hot-headed at times, but you can tell he ultimately just wants some peace, and he wants the world to be you know, as peaceful as it can be, and he's willing to do whatever it takes. You look at the Fantastic Four and they speak in volumes with their own individual characters. Look at Sue, you know, a woman from the 1960s, always looks passed upon, doesn't look like she exists. She's just someone that is in her own staple to be the woman that cooks and cleans. She feels invisible, if you will. You look at Johnny, teenagers back then being hot-headed, going into fights. You look at, you know, just um, not knowing what they're getting themselves into, whether there are people from the wrong side of the tracks, whether there are people that are preppy and whatnot. They're always looking to find themselves. And while finding themselves, they jump into things. You look at the thing, loneliness especially with someone who has a best friend who's trying to help him out, but can never understand what he is going through. He is cold as a rock. And of course, anxiety with uh, Reed, with Mr. Fantastic, knowing that he has all this power. He has unlimited potential. Even his body has unlimited potential, yet he cannot even cure his family. 
there's so many themes you could play off of right there. And I feel that um, this is mm-hmm. why this family has stood the test of time. This is why this family has survived over 50 years of comic book storytelling. Um, why they're so relevant today, why we still hinker for a great film with the Fantastic Four, why um, the villains are so great in the Fantastic Four, i.e. Galactus, Doctor Doom, why we get so many characters from the original yeah. Fantastic Four. We, if, without the Fantastic Four, we don't get people like um, the Inhumans and Black Bolt. We don't get the Black Panther. We don't get Namor, really. Um, there's so many different... I mean, Namor did exist before in different continuities, but Namor really didn't rise to prominence until the Fantastic Four when he was going after suit all the time. So it's like there's so many outlets that came out of the Fantastic Four that grew the Marvel Universe. If anything, without these guys, there would be no Marvel Universe. And that's something you can definitely, I can definitely agree upon, because, I mean, they, they're they like the, the founding four, almost, but uh, yep. it's it's definitely, they, they are the basis for the entire universe and multiverses that we know today. And it's definitely something you gotta, gotta give them the respect about, because they, they have been around for so long, and they have so many great stories. I'm going to, uh, before we get into our number ones, because I think we, we already know who our number ones is, is going to be, but I want to hear any honorable mentions from you. Someone that could have made your list, but didn't. So, because I was, okay, so I was going back and forth a lot on one group and one character. So one of the groups I was really, really thinking about including was definitely the X-Men. I was definitely thinking about including the X-Men into it. I, I really liked how, how different the X-Men are and how it really is that, that like we were speaking um, before, you know, that with the one we were talking about Magneto, that very, you know, like Martin Luther and Malcolm X kind of, you know the, the mutants versus the non-mutants kind of thing, and it was it, it it really is a. I mean, you can pick up pretty much in my mind. You can pick up pretty much any X-Men comic book, and you're going to enjoy it because there's so many different stories and different characters and different powers, and and there's basically unlimited potential within the X-Men. Um, and I gotta say, my other honorable mention, I was also thinking about including. I already mentioned him today was uh, Thor. I was definitely thinking about including Thor. I really like Thor. I like how you have this very, very arrogant and cocky and very self-righteous character who eventually just gets brought straight down to earth and sometimes literally and has to, you know, you know, learn about caring about others, learn about glory isn't everything, learning about, you know, sometimes your family and friends are more important than your own personal gain and your own personal glory. And he's definitely a great character, especially nowadays with this whole like God butcher run that's been going on. He, he definitely has been a fantastic character. Um, and he's definitely evolved into this, 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 this amazing and triumphant character who's who's learned all his lessons but sometimes makes mistakes um but i just couldn't quite fit him in the list because i felt like the other characters had better stories to them or were a little bit funner so that's why i I chose what i chose but 
yeah, so those were the two I was thinking about including, but ultimately did. Oh yeah, I agree with you. Uh, X Men was number one was going to be um, on my list definitely. I just was going through the timelines, and especially one of my favorite characters is Cyclops, and I saw a lot of Stanley in Cyclops in some regards to being someone who was supposed to take the mantle of being a leader, and you can see that with Marvel Comics as well too that they put a lot of their weight on his shoulders, like uh, Professor X has done for Cyclops. But I felt like with the X-Men, you know, that was a um, not the best-selling book at the time for Stan Lee. In fact, it failed at first. It wasn't until the Chris, the Chris Claremont series that they really started picking up in the 70s. So I kind of let that one be there. And then Black Panther was another one because of the fact that he is a really non-stereotypical character. He was just a character that... Um, Number one, says it's a tie. Number two, um, was not part of the, the the movement of someone who was um, your typical black character. Like a, I want to say, a Blade. Blade really at the first time, or Luke Cage. They really sensationalized these characters of being part of their times. You know, with words like groovy and jive and sucker and all that and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like they were just a play on things we see on TV. And I felt Black Black Panther was very original, you know, being a king of a nation that is totally 10 times bigger than what we see in, in our eyes from the United States or Great Britain, things of that nature. But I felt like he couldn't get on my list because a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the meat of Black Panther happens after Stan Lee lets the character go. And I feel like if I were to put him on the list just for... Um, that that controversy, I want to say, and that's a horrible word to use, but just the shock value of having a, a, a black character so successful, I didn't want that to be the reason that he's on my list. If we're looking at all-time great Marvel characters, definitely. But as, as a Stanley creation, I didn't want to put him on because of uh, that he was shock value whatsoever, because he's bigger than that. Yeah, I can definitely agree. But um, when it comes to our number one, I think we might have the same number one. I'm going to go ahead and, so. and, and say my number one right now. My number one favorite character is definitely going to be Spider-Man. Yep. Yep, Spider-Man. He's Spider-Man is one of those characters. I mean, he is the most he is a classic. He's well known throughout the entire I'd say the entire planet. I mean, he's the most well-known Marvel character there's ever been and I think there's ever going to be. He has arcs and stories that just and, and villains and just he is honestly if you're gonna if you're gonna put a pen on the greatest superhero the greatest stories the greatest villains the greatest all of that i feel like you're gonna put the pen right there on spider-man for marvel because he he has great theming from you know dealing with the loss of parents to dealing with growing up to dealing with betrayal to dealing with Pretty much to dealing with friendships, to dealing with relationships, to dealing with pretty much everything. I mean, Spider-Man, I mean, he tackles the basic themes of life. And on top of that, you also have this, you know, he, he's funny, but he, you can tell he has all of these feelings and he expresses them throughout all his stories. He wants to help everyone out. He wants to help his Aunt May. And it's... Man, I could go on and on. I mean, his, his villains are fantastic. I mean, from Doc Ock, like we already said, 
uh, even Shocker, Scorpion, Mysterio, Vulture, Goblin, Hobgoblin, I mean, Venom, Carnage, you can keep going on and on and on. And it really is, I mean, he's definitely my all-time, I'd say, like, if we're going to span Marvel and DC, he's my favorite character. He really is. You know, when you look at, this is both our characters, we'll just go tag team on this. You look at three influential characters that everyone knows from, let's say, California all the way to uh, Southeast Asia. If you throw Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man, I feel that all three of those characters are the most recognizable characters uh, on the entire planet. Everyone knows who Spider-Man is. Everyone knows that uh, the quotes um, that Uncle Ben taught him. Oh, everyone knows his, his history. Uh, I think one of Spider-Man's greatest assets uh, when we first meet him is his poverty, that he's so relatable, that he's someone that just gets by. And I think we can all relate with that character, especially as a teenager back in the 60s. You're just a nerd. You're just someone who is very insignificant in a giant world, especially New York City. And it's to see your world change, um, you can even look at sexuality as well, too. Um, he gets bit by a spider. His body um, changes. Um, things are growing the way that they shouldn't be growing before. You know, things are happening. You know, webs are shooting. Well, he creates the webs, of course. But, you know, there's some, I guess, similarities to, um, I don't want to say masturbation, but kind of almost. But (laughs) I feel like it's just a boy growing up. And you see that in the first, uh, I want to say first 10 comics, it's just a boy growing up. It really is. I mean, he really is a boy growing up and, learning and trying to become a man and trying to do what's right and sometimes he fails sometimes he wins sometimes he loses people i mean from losing his uncle ben to losing gwen stacy to just everything that he's had to go through and it's uh, sometimes he gets cloned but that's a totally different no yeah (laughs) not to cut you off with that i think the best thing about spider-man is that he loses and we understand that like he's not a cookie cutter hero where you know at the end of the day everything is fine no everything has a consequence whether it's gaining his powers and not using them responsibly to get his uncle killed things happen there's a sad note he has he has anxiety he has depression you know he gives up mostly every other year of being spider-man because he's just a teenager yeah and I mean, he's a character who has actually died. And it's not yeah. like a death where you're like, oh, he's going to come right back. No, it's a death where you know Spider-Man is dead. He, Peter Parker died, and he's not coming back. And it, it's not like you know some of those other characters, like Superman, for example. You kill him, you put him against the sun, and all of a sudden he's back. It, it's it's a character with mortality. It's a character with, you know, realism and a character who's going to lose those battles, but is going to try his hardest to make sure that he doesn't, but he still might. He still not be, not, you know, what he does still might not be enough. Exactly. And you look at the original comics from the sixties going into the seventies, like you were mentioning, his Rose Galley is like 
one of the best rogues gallery we've ever seen. You know, I think the only person that can really compete with his rogues may be Batman. Batman, yeah. I think Batman, you know, I think Spider-Man is more relatable to his foes because he has a hand in all of their creations. You know, without Spider-Man, there would be no Scorpion. Without, you know, Spider-Man, there would be, well, we'll, so we'll stick to the original creations. Vulture, Dr. Octopus, you know, uh, Sandman, um, Tombstone, things of that nature. Um, hell, one of, the, one of my favorite characters is Craven as well, too. It's just without Spider-Man, there is no there is no necessity to go after this guy who just climbs on walls and stops uh, bank robberies. Cause that's what it is. He's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that works best on just rescuing people. And he, I guess he arrests the wrong person and they turn into this freaking supervillain that just wants to kill him at all costs. He kind of falls into these problems. Yeah, he does. And, oh man, he, he has such a great, like you were saying, his Rose Gallery is fantastic because of that. Is Walls, the character of Spider-Man evolves, so does his villains. So does his, you know, his Rose Gallery. They all evolve with him. They all change. It's not like they're this static, unmoving character who's the same since when they were first created. I mean, you have, I mean, let's, let's just take Venom, for example. You have Venom who originally was bonded to Spider-Man. And because he was bonded to Spider-Man, he gained all his powers and everything. Mm. Spider-Man, he, you know, he goes through those anchor issues. He goes through those evil thoughts and, and everything. So then he sheds it. And because he sheds it and he's already screwed over Eddie Brock, who happens to be, you know, right there underneath the bell, I mean, he turns into Venom. And that Venom character, though, has gone through so many different you know, um, hosts. It's gone through so many different iterations. I mean, heck, we even got an iteration with Agent Venom where Peter Parker's bully Flash Thompson becomes a, you know, a military hero by using the Venom symbiote. I mean, that that is a total, complete evolution from what the Venom symbiote used to be. And it's that kind of change and that kind of, you know evolution that you see in a character that you don't really get with a lot of other villains that are related to heroes i mean for example i love i absolutely love magneto but i feel like he doesn't really change his motivations are the same his goal is the same it stays the same versus some of the other villains you see in spider-man's gallery no, I totally agree with you on that point. And even if you look at his his villains and take them to the side for a second, the core cast of characters are so relatable as well, too. Aunt May, just a forever loving human yeah. being, always looking to be by Peter's side. J. Jonah Jameson, just being that boss that you know you hate and everybody has this boss at one time in their life. Uh, and how he's so connected to Spider-Man and Peter at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at Gwen Stacy being the ultimate love that got away literally out of his hands uh, to the point where the storytelling is so magnific magnificent you don't know if Peter accidentally killed her or she smacked her head on that rock or what exactly happened there's so much lore to this character's beginnings Mary Jane Watson, the girl next door um, 
um, Harry Osborn being the best friend, Norman Osborn being the father figure he always wanted because Ben died, and to see him being one of Spider-Man's ultimate villains as well too, because he basically is fighting his stepdad in a way. Um, you look at all these characters, like we were talking about Otto Octavius being a father figure too. I think Stan Lee really treated Spider-Man, Peter Parker, as his son. To the point where he even is on record saying that Spider-Man is his best creation. And Peter Parker is so relatable to every human being on this planet. Whether you're white, black, it doesn't matter what it is. Hispanic, even if you have a Miles Morales right now, he is so influential to your core of always trying to do the right thing even though you're going to fail at it. Bravery. And I think one of the telling things right here is that you look back in time, there's only a few people that have killed off characters, and it's a big deal. Superman, big deal. You know, made the front page on newspapers. Um, Batman, not so much. Don't know what happened there. Um, but even though this wasn't the... This was the Ultimate Universe when Spider-Man was killed off on a comic book that had maybe 12 years of continuity, it made the front page of people just losing their mind because they're still creating, uh, killing a version of Peter Parker. And how that comic book was so fabulously done. How that funeral was crazy in that comic book. And how it birthed a new generation of Spider-Man fans with Miles Morales. It's just his legacy will always live on. Really well. And I feel like Spider-Man is one of those characters that, well, you have all these other characters that are great, and I just feel like though these characters are going to eventually fade. Well, Spider-Man, I feel like, is one of those characters that because he hits themes on such a dramatic level of hitting almost every single one of them, having great heroes, having a great family, having great everything... I feel like Spider-Man is one of those characters that I feel like is just almost never going to go away. I think he honestly will never go away. And I think it's always going to be my favorite and I feel like is a lot of other people's favorites. And I just... Spider-Man's going to uh, stand the test of time for sure. And he, he continues to do so. And I, I, uh, I look forward to seeing all the other adventures he gets himself in. If there's one Spider-Man story, I want to see the original ones. One of the original ones from Stanley. If there's one Spider-Man story that you love the most, which one would it have been? Oh, oh my. Um, put me into quite a pickle here. Um, if you like, I can go first with mine. Yeah, I knew this is this is hard. Go ahead. I I think. Um, one of my favorite iterations of the story is one of the original origins. Um, this, you know, this is after, you know, he discovers he has his power, but I think one of my favorite, favorite stories is him just being a kid wanting to get a new car to impress girls and to ultimately impress Flash Thompson as well, too. And he does don a wrestling mask and use his powers to, of course, you know, try to gain some money, uh, be a little selfish with the powers. How we would all think about that if we had this. And the fact that that little 
piece of arrogance um, sets off a chain reaction with Uncle Ben, especially where, you know, he tries to get money, gets stiffed, the guy that uh, stiffs him gets robbed, and the robber that, you know, Peter could have taken care of, he lets go, and that chain reaction goes and has Ben killed, and now Ben's dead, and this is ultimately what makes Spider-Man. It's not the the bite, and it's not the ultimate villains that he has. It's that moment right there where Ben dies and teaches him about great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. And I feel that story right there, that arc right there, really cements who Spider-Man really is. You know what? I couldn't agree more. I I mean, that, that really is, I mean, because he literally learns from that lesson that Ben taught him. I mean, Ben taught him with great power comes great responsibility, and he, he abused that, and he did it, and he used his power to get money, and he wasn't being responsible with it, and he used it to, you know, help himself with, instead of helping others, and he got so selfish to the point he didn't even try to stop the robber, and because of that, like you said, you know, it, it ends up killing his uncle. Um, he he wasn't heeding the words of the man that he could have saved. And if he did, I mean, who knows? Spider-Man probably wouldn't wouldn't be nearly the same. But it's or or heck, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, maybe he even does encounter the Venom suit still, and he keeps it on. I mean, I mean, there's so many different routes that could have taken, and. I definitely agree with you, though. I, I feel like that, that definitely is the greatest story, and I feel like that is his true origin story. I mean, of course, getting bit and everything is just one thing, you know, it gives him the powers, but I think that just births uh, a super-powered being. I don't think that actually births Spider-Man. Yeah, same here. And I honestly, one of, my, one of the things I hate the most is the, the interactions of different plot points to make Peter better or more special than what he is uh, with his parents being, you know, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point or, you know, he was always destined to be Spider-Man according to Madam Web and things of that nature. I, I don't care for those stories. I care for something more relatable that an accident happened mm-hmm. and this nerd ultimately has to do things trial by error to become the hero that he is today. We literally grew up with Peter Parker. He is an adult now in the comic books, mentoring different people as well, too, now. A character we never thought could mentor anybody because he's just grew up himself. The fact that he's grown with us shows that he is one of Stanley's greatest creations. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> that, is, that is definitely true. I think he, he's always going to be Stanley's greatest creation, and that will never change, and... Overall, I mean, Spider-Man's one of those reasons, honestly, I like Marvel more than DC. I mean, he's that powerful of a character. I mean, he, he's one of those reasons I enjoy Marvel more than DC, because I look at DC and there's a lot of good themes, but I just can't seem to pen a hero that hits all the strides and all the marks that a character like Spider-Man hits. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, there's certain heroes that do different things, but I think... You know, a person like a Superman, a person like a Batman, you know, as as great as we love those origin stories, uh, most of the time they're not that relatable. I mean, it's not that relatable to, uh, yes, it's relatable to have your parents killed in an alleyway. I could see that. Not especially relatable being a billionaire. New York. 
Exactly. That's the thing, though. <laughs> Me being a billionaire going to, you know, Asia to become a, an assassin, to come back and wear a bat suit, that's kind of hard. Um, or, you know, Superman being, you know, as people love to say, and I love to say as well, too, he's the ultimate immigrant. And how people like really just clamor Superman is so fantastic without knowing that he is an immigrant from a different planet and still... Uh, has all these powers and he's a godlike creature it's not as relatable yes it's not relatable to web to make web shooters or it's not relatable to uh, to make a costume and flip around outside but it is relatable to be a nerd or someone who's an outcast who feels alone um who's poor and has to get by doing the right things and ultimately even when you're doing the right things it still hurts you in the end it's relatable to have a girlfriend who dumps you or a girlfriend who, who's there for you, but you have to like pass her by. You have to leave her alone because you have your own goals that you have to do. You have to grow up in a way. There's so many relatable stories that Peter Parker gives us instead of Spider-Man that I think lasts a test of time. I couldn't agree more. Well, Shug, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. If anybody wanted to talk to you about comic books, if anybody wanted to say, you know, Dr. Doom, you know, is not a good character, where can people find you? Um, well, believe it or not, Val, I don't really actually have much <laughs> of any social media whatsoever. I'm, uh, it's okay. But... Ruined souls. <laughs> You know what? If you ever find me, though, on the Metro system in Phoenix, Arizona, I'd be more than happy to talk to you. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Um, you guys want to find myself, uh, the Twitter at ValCisco underscore Uncanny V, and of course on uh, the, uh, the Instagram at ValCisco, Sideshow Conversations. This podcast with Pop 5 is brought to you on Anchor, iTunes, and Spotify. You can also visit Sideshow Conversations on Instagram and Facebook as fan group pages as well, too. Shug, it has been a pleasure. I know we've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm kind of happy that we got this through. I think this is an excellent podcast, and I can't wait for the next one. Definitely, definitely can't wait either, and it's a pleasure all mine. Thank you, guys. And as always, get your mind out of the gutter, but keep your eye on the side.